Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the opportunity to come and study your word. We're asking for your Holy Spirit to please be with us and to guide us and to lead us. And help us, O Lord, to understand and give us the wisdom to know, know how to apply these words to our lives today. Thank you, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, greetings, friends. Good to see all of you joining us again this evening. And today, as we're going to start our care group study, we are continuing our series on the kings. And today, we're going to look at Saul's presumptuous act. That's the title of our story. And we're just going to jump straight into our first text this evening. And it is found in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. So Saul, he only retained a small portion of his army, just 3,000. 2,000 were with him, and 1,000 were with Jonathan, his son. What had happened just before this? You remember as we studied, the men of Jabesh-Gilead, do you remember that? They were being attacked by the Ammonites, and they called for help. And Saul, when he heard this, he made a call out to the children of Israel, and he managed to gather 330,000 men. We read in 1 Samuel 11, verse 8, that when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. And so when they went out and they fought against the Ammonites, God gave them the victory. And this was the army that he, he was able to gather, to amass together, to come and fight beside him and for him against God's enemies. But then we read in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 11, and it, was on, and it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. God gave Saul the victory and had he gone on fighting, God would have given him even greater victories over his enemies since they were all full of hope and courage after this first battle. But after he was officially crowned as king, he decided to disband the army that he had gathered and he just kept a small portion. How many? 3,000. 2,000 were with him and 1,000 were with Jonathan. And so they did not keep move, moving forward. They didn't keep pressing. They keep fighting the battles. Saul had gotten comfortable already. However, Saul's son, Jonathan, he was still pushing forward. He was still seeing that God was opening up the ways and he was testing, you know. Of course, he wasn't ultra sure, but he would continue to test to see if God was still guiding and to give them victory over their enemies, the Philistines. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 3 through 4. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. 
And all the Israel, Israel heard say that Jonathan had smitten a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines and the people were called together, get together after Saul to Gilgal. So Jonathan would continue to press forward. He would continue to fight God's battles. He would continue to fight against the Philistines and God would give him the victory. But you see how Saul responds though. He takes credit for the victory for himself instead of giving that victory and crediting it to the son. And the news goes far and wide throughout Israel that Saul has been fighting and God has been giving them victory over these enemies, the Philistines. And ultimately, word gets back also to the Philistines. And how do they respond? Let's read in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. They come to fight against Israel with an immense army. I don't know if you noticed there, but 30,000 chariots, 30,000. Can you believe that? They have more chariots than they do horsemen. Usually the chariots are are much less, but here they have 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the foot soldiers, they just couldn't even be bothered counting them anymore. They were innumerable. They were like the sand of the sea. And so they come and pitch their tent against um, Saul and his, his, the host of Israel and his armies. And how does Israel react when they see the Philistines sitting at their doorstep? 1 Samuel 13, verses 6 and 7. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and thickets, in rocks, in high places, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. How did they react? They were afraid. Some went and hid themselves in caves, and some in the cracks or in the rocks or in a pit on the ground. Others, they crossed over Jordan, and they ran from the Philistines as far as they could. And those that remained, the Bible says, they were trembling. They obviously had, had looked at Saul and he must have been afraid as well. He must have been trembling as well. He was certainly not inspiring faith into his soldiers. Otherwise, they would not have been following him tremblingly. They would not have left and fled or gone and hide, right? Such a vast host was coming out against them. And Saul, he was afraid. And how else did he respond? Let's read in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 8. And he tarried seven days, speaking of Saul, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. The Bible says that Saul waited for seven days for Samuel to appear, the prophet. But yet, he did not appear. What was the reason that Saul was waiting? 
You see, why was it so important for him to wait for Samuel? We read in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 8, Thou shalt come down, thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I will come unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. You see, friends, when Saul was first anointed as king, he was given the instruction from Samuel to go to Gilgal and to wait there for seven days. And then after that, he would come and he would show Saul what he would have to do. And so Saul was waiting. And seven days must have felt like an eternity, a really long time with such a vast army right in front of you at your doorstep. But nonetheless, Saul was there at Gilgal and he was waiting. He was waiting for seven days, but no sign of Samuel appearing. And meanwhile, the situation was getting worse. The people were getting afraid. He, he, he was seeing his army dissipate and disappear. People were hiding. They were running, right? This was a testing time for Saul. His faith was being tested. His, his position and fitness as the king of Israel was being tested. And could he be trusted in this position? And so what does Saul decide to do? He's waiting, he's waiting, and the seventh day arrives and Samuel still has not appeared. And in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 9, the Bible says, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. So he decides to go ahead with offering the sacrifice of the burnt offering himself. Now, there's something really important to note here. Look, only the priests, only the priests were the ones that were allowed to offer these sacrifices to God. It wasn't open for anyone and everyone to just come and perform this offering of this sacrifice. It was the Levites that had been set aside to do this work. And Samuel, although he was a prophet, he also was a priest. He was from the tribe of Levi. And it also seemed to indicate at that young age when he was called and and he was left there really by his mother and dedicated to the work, he was working in the temple helping Eli. Look at this. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 18, the Bible says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. And moreover, you know, when Eli the high priest, he passed away, it would be Samuel that would come and stand in his place to lead the nation of Israel. So we can conclude that Samuel, he was just, he was more than a prophet. He was a priest as well. So it was lawful for Samuel to come and offer the burnt offering and the sacrifice to God, but it was not lawful for Saul. And now, Saul, he's clad in garments of war. He's impatient at the delay of Samuel, the prophet, coming to him. And so he decides to go and offer the burnt offering to God himself. He goes against the express command of Samuel, the prophet, and against the commandment of God. And you know, just as we would imagine and we can know what's going to happen next, as Saul is offering that burnt offering, guess who turns up? Of course, 
It's Samuel. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 10 to 12. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. Did you see that, friends? So when Samuel arrives and he sees that Saul has just offered this burnt offering, he asks him, Saul, why did you do this? What was his reply? First, first he says, the people were scattered. And Samuel, you didn't come in the time that was appointed. So he blamed Samuel first for not coming in time, almost as if to say, if you had been on time, I would not have to offer the burnt offering. I would not have to offer this sacrifice. He blames Samuel for being late, but yet he still comes within the appointed seven days, right? He just happens to offer it on the seventh day, and he doesn't wait for the seventh day to be over. He he could wait until the eighth day. But he says, look, Samuel, you were late. It was your fault. You told me you're going to come in seven days, and you didn't, but he did. And he doesn't want to take responsibility for this rebellious act, but would rather place the blame on someone else, namely Samuel. But secondly, look at what Saul said. He said the Philistines were coming upon him and he had not made supplication. He had not made prayers to God. So he forced himself to offer this burnt sacrifice as if he really did not want to do it, but it was pushed on him to do it. You know, what's interesting? Number one, if the Philistines were really upon him, why did he wait for seven days, right? He should have offered the burnt offering on the first day instead of waiting for seven days. But they weren't. They had been held at bay by the grace of God. They were just there and God was the one that was holding things in check until Samuel would arrive. And if he really had held the worship and supplication to God in such a high regard, if he really wanted the blessing of God to rest on him, he would have performed it in the right way by waiting for Samuel to make his appearance. He makes it sound like he was really so pious in wanting God to bless him and to be with him, yet he was not willing to comply with the conditions upon which the blessing would come. You know, friends, we got to be so careful that we don't make these sorts of excuses like Saul, especially when we are found in sin, especially when we are found in the wrong. It, it all started at the very beginning. We see that with Adam and Eve. When God came to question Adam what he had done, he blamed Eve, but in essence, he was blaming God. He did not want to take responsibility. He said, the woman that you made me, God, it was your fault, right? And this has always been the problem with humanity. We don't like to take responsibility for our own actions. We always try to justify. Self-justification, that is tied up 
with pride because we do not want to admit that we are wrong. But how does Samuel respond? On hearing Saul's reply, what does Samuel then say? 1 Samuel 13, verses 13 to 15. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast kept not that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel arose and got him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. What does Samuel do? He reprimands Saul, saying that he had done foolishly. He saw through the excuses that Saul was giving him, and they were not valid reasons for him to offer any burnt offering or to go against the commandment of God. If Saul had been careful to follow all that God had outlined in that time of trial, God would have established his kingdom forever. However, because of this, it was clear that he was unfit to be in the position of king. Instead of leading his people to a greater faithfulness to God, he would have set up his own standard of righteousness and he would have begun to lead the people astray. And so Samuel left. He told them that God would choose another man after his own heart to be captain over his people. You see, even though the nation of Israel now had a king, God was still the one in charge. He was still guiding the affairs of the kingdom, and he would choose a man after his own heart to lead them. In the choice to choose Saul as king, God was choosing someone that the people wanted, you see. Someone that had the noble bearing of a king who stood higher and taller than everyone else, who was well-built and muscular, someone that could go out and lead their battles, many attributes that they would look at from the nations around them, and they would go and seek out someone within Israel that would fit those attributes, those outward qualities. And Saul from the outward perspective. He he resembled every bit the king that the Israelites wanted, the king that any nation would be proud to call their king that would lead them. And yet he lacked the inward piety, the inward character that would be essential to lead this great nation. He was not faithful. And so he chose to cut corners just to please himself and to try and gain the blessing of God. And yet even when, when, he was, when, he, when Samuel came to confront him, he still gave all the excuses. And you know, friends, we got to be careful. We got to be so careful in trying, when in trying to justify ourselves that we don't make excuses for our wrongdoing, for our disobedience. And we got to be so careful that we follow every commandment of God, every precept and ordinance that he's outlined. Why? Because there is only safety within the confines of God's word. 
no matter the circumstance. We we got to learn to to be faithful to God. Sure, look, the situation that Saul was in was urgent. The Philistines were right at his doorstep, ready to attack. Right, and Samuel he he was nowhere in sight. He was late, but yet it was not a good enough reason to disobey. You know, friends, there's no reason on this earth that we can think of, that we can tell God that this is the reason why we decided to be unfaithful to Him. I want you to imagine a husband and a wife. Can you think of any circumstance that the husband would tell the wife and say, look, this is the reason why I had to sleep with another woman. This is the reason why I was unfaithful to you. Of course not, right? There is no reason on this earth that we could possibly think of that would pass. And had Saul been faithful and waited for Samuel to make his appearance, God would have kept the Philistines at bay. He would have protected his people and not allowed the Philistines to make an attack. In fact, he had already been protected for six days and the seventh day, whatever time he decided to make that sacrifice, if only he had just waited a little bit longer if only he had been patient and not think that he could just disobey and make that sacrifice, if only he had been faithful, God would have worked a mighty miracle to defeat the Philistines' army and he would have overcome that vast host, no matter the size, even though their number was like the sand on the seashore. Faith and obedience, my dear friends, are conditions on which God can pour out His blessings and work amazing miracles on our behalf. You see, what do we need that Saul was missing whilst waiting for Samuel to come? What he needed was a trust in God. What he needed was patience to endure trial and especially this waiting period that sometimes is really more difficult than the actual trial before us because sometimes we just don't know the mind of God and it's so difficult. God, how long do I need to wait for, right? But look at what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You see, friends, God's people, His saints, They're described at the end of time with possessing patience. Of all the characteristics that would be written about them, why patience? Why not love or joy or peace? Why is patience such an important characteristic? Let's keep reading. Mark 13 and verse 13. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You see, friends, there is a day coming where the whole world will hate God's people. There's a day coming that when you are faithful to God, people will hate you. But why? What is the reason why? Matthew 24 and verse 9. And they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You see, unless we endure, we will come short of the heavenly home. People will hate us for the sake of Christ. 
Yes, we need to endure persecution and the hatred of the people that they will have for us simply because we are being faithful to God. We are warned about this in Matthew, in Jesus' sermon on the Mount of Blessings, in that Beatitudes, at the conclusion. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You see that, friends? How will you react when you are rewarded evil for the good that you are doing? There will be people that will hate you for righteousness' sake. So it was with the first murderer, Cain, who killed his brother Abel because Abel did that which was right, but he couldn't handle it. He got jealous. He got envious. And so he slew his brother because God accepted his brother's offering and not his. There was nothing wrong that Abel had done. He did not make fun of him. He didn't poke um, at his brother and say, ha ha, God accepted my offering and not yours. No, he was just simply righteous and faithful. But because of that, he was killed. But friends, how should we react when people reward evil for the good that we have done? Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. You know what Peter's trying to say here? He's like, look, if you do wrong, right? If you do something that, that, that's wrong, you should be patient because you really were in the wrong, right? For example, if you're caught stealing and you're sentenced to prison, of course, you're going to suffer. You, you must suffer patiently. You can't go up to the policeman there and say, and start complaining and getting angry and making a big noise. You have to sit there quietly in prison while they figure out what to do with you. You have to take it patiently. Why? You were in the wrong. But how about when you suffer for something that you did not do wrong, and yet you still take it patiently? Will you be patient? I want you to think of Joseph. When he was master over Potiphar's house, he had been given promotion upon promotion, and he'd been working there. He was faithful. Potiphar, he didn't even know what was going on in his house except the food that was laid before his table. Joseph was such a good manager. But then one day, Potiphar's wife laid her eyes upon Joseph. He must have been a handsome, well-musculated man. And she asked him to sleep with her. And he refused. He was doing what was right. He said, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? Not just Potiphar, but against God. And yet, she tried to grab a hold of him and he left his jacket there with her. And she made a lie about him and eventually he was thrown into prison. And he was in prison, not because he had done anything wrong, but he did that which was right. Friends, how would you react? What would you do if you were accused of something you did not do and you had to suffer for it? Friends, it happens all the time. And this is why we need patience. You know, friends, maybe some of you are having to wait for something or for someone. And maybe you're getting a bit anxious. 
Are you waiting for the results of your exam? You're waiting for money to come through from your parents to pay some bills or your school fees? You're waiting. And this is that testing time. It's that testing period where you gotta trust God. You gotta trust Him that He knows what He's doing, that He has a perfect plan for your life. Friends, what do you do when you start getting anxious? Do you lose sleep? Do you start pacing back and forth and your heart begins to skip a beat here and there? Some people, they get so anxious, they need to take medication for their anxiety. They get panic attacks. They get nervous and they can't think of anything else. They can't even work. And it's in those times, friends, we need the patience of the saints. That even though the situation before us seems foreboding and we we don't know the solution, we can't see beyond what's going to happen and we start to get a little bit scared, but if we have the patience of the saints, we have the assurance and trust in God, then we can begin to live our life and do the duties that are set before us instead of putting our whole life on hold because we ourselves can't think. We need faith to trust in God that He will work out this situation for us at the right time and in the right manner. We need to claim the promise that will strengthen us through every trial, you see. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Friends, do you believe that? Do you really believe that God works all things out for good to those that love Him, to those that are called? You know, do we really believe that even when sometimes things seem to go wrong, that God has a plan for that wrongness, for that unfortunate circumstance? And then, if we can believe like that, friends, we can begin to stop worrying. Because then no matter what happens, we can see that God is still in control and He knows what is for our best good. And He'll fight for us. He'll help us. He'll turn the situation around for good. You know, I hear of friends who miss their, their, their flight and they have to pay an extra money just to get on another ticket, uh, a ticket and a flight. To, to home or to their destination. And, and the reason why God did that is, yeah, maybe some of us can afford to lose some money and some of us can't, but either way, maybe God has a plan because He wants us to sit on a plane next to another person that we need to witness to and to minister to. And so even when it seems like things aren't happening for my best good, who wants to be in prison after all? Who wants to pay extra for a flight ticket, Right? But whatever the bad circumstance we are going through that is allowed to come upon us, God is still in control. God has His reasons. And it will be not just for the very good of other people, but even for me, for us. So we come back to that story of Joseph. He was in prison, but you know what? It was in prison. It was in Potiphar's house as a slave that God was training him in the affairs of the kingdom. He learned how to manage Potiphar's house. He learned how to manage the prison. He was learning all these management skills. Sure, he took an unconventional route. 
he didn't he didn't go the way of going through the schools and getting an MBA and getting all these degrees and then saying I can manage no he had actual real-life practical experience and it was because of unfortunate circumstance seemingly in his heart but even when all these things happened Joseph still trusted God and this is something that Saul lacked when the little trial came upon him he couldn't withstand it he transgressed against God's word he went against the the the, the instruction of Samuel to him and then even when confronted he still was not willing to admit his fault you know finally friends we read in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 to 6 trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways the Bible says acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths you know friends what is our own understanding and our own ways it's with these two eyes and these two ears that often we hear and we see and we think we know better than God it's so often that the very object that is right in front of us we make these decisions we think God we know better trust me but we don't realize and we fail to remember that God sees from above he sees as we see and then he sees also into the future he knows what is for our best good he knows why he says certain things to guide us and direct us in different ways but so often we pit our wisdom against his we lean on our own understanding and we don't want to trust him we don't want to follow him and we can't keep our faith fully set on him but friends today no matter what the circumstance you're going through no matter what situation you're in that God is telling you maybe today you need to wait I want you to trust God trust him he's got a perfect plan for you he's got a perfect place he's working out the very best good for you even right now right now if we would only learn to pause and to renew our commitment to him and say God I don't see it's difficult but help me to hold on to you to trust you that I won't change the plans that you have for me but trust that you know what is best friends may you may we may all of us continue to trust him through every single circumstance even right now if you're in the midst of a fire let's have a word of prayer shall we father in heaven lord i want to thank you i want to thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and how you love us with this endless love you always desire the very best for us lord yet sometimes we think we know better what is for our good that we don't trust you we don't wait upon you we don't allow you to work out the situation and help us to see what could have been many times lord we go our own ways we make our own decisions and many times they are not according to your will father please i want to pray for my brothers and sisters here today if they are going through a fiery trial if they're going through a circumstance that is not so pleasant in their lives and it was not of their own doing even i pray that you would please help them and guide them and so lord i just pray that you would please bless give us your holy spirit give us patience to wait upon you give us faith to see beyond our present circumstances 
to a God above who knows what is for our best good. Help us, Lord, to maintain our faith, our love, our integrity in you every step of the way. Guide us and strengthen us, O Lord, is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.